Good morning, fellowship. Welcome to all of you who are here with us. So many smiles and laughter this morning. What a joy. Welcome to those of you at home through the wonders and gift of technology. We are glad that each of you are here worshiping with us this morning on this third Sunday of Easter when we gather together to give praise to our risen Lord. Siblings, we have been made new because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The old has gone and the new has come. Today, we will listen together as we learn that being made new includes new ears for hearing. So for now, hear these words from Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Sisters and brothers, as you're able, please stand and join us as we join our voices with creation and sing praise to our God.
may be seated. That happens often when I come up. <laughs> because of God's love for the world and because of our ability to be perfectly open and honest and authentic before God, we can come and lay all that we have before God at the cross, both our uh, celebrations, but also uh, the ways in which we screw up. So mindful of that, we will offer a prayer of confession together. Let's pray. Oh God, your word resonates from all of creation. Your word whispers in the still small voice of your Holy Spirit. Your word is shared to us with our brother, by our brothers and sisters in Christ. But most vividly, your word is bestowed to us in the scriptures, the book that we love. Regardless of the medium, the overwhelming message of your word is that of love, your love for this world and even for us. And yet, so often, we don't have the ears to hear. Your voice is muffled by the selfish scripts of our lives or tuned out by the oh-so-many distractions of our world or just plain muted in favor of something else. Forgive us, Lord, for our tendency to not listen. Forgive us for not having the ears to hear your word that permeates all of creation. Together, we pray with the words on the screen. Lord, open our eyes to see you in our midst. Lord, open our ears to hear your voice. Lord, renew our minds to carry your truth. Lord, break our hearts to love like you love. Lord, move our feet to join in your kingdom work. Lord, open our mouths to sing your praise. Amen. My friends, God so loved the world that he offered himself on our behalf so that we might live as a forgiven people. Let us meditate on that as we listen to the guitar ensemble this morning.
Thank you, guitar ensemble. That was awesome. Well, good morning, Fellowship Church. The Lord be with you. My name is Nate Skipper, and I'm one of the pastors here, where our mission together is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. And we are so grateful for uh, the many that have joined uh, uh, us in that mission and for all of you that are gathered here this morning to do that uh, this very morning. If you are new or visiting with us, we just want to say, first say thank you uh, and welcome. We're glad that you're here. Huh? We hope you uh, discover this to be a, a, this kind of place that we just articulated. If you are thinking about what it might mean uh, to become a, an official member or take the next step in that journey, we'd like to invite you to our Discover Fellowship Cafe that's happening today, right after this service. There'll be lunch there. Uh, we'd love to have you join us for that. A couple things I'd like to celebrate this morning. Uh, one is thank you uh, to you all. Uh, we had a congregational meeting last week in two different ways, in two different mediums, both here and online, uh, and you responded graciously and voted uh, in favor of our two agenda items on the congregational meeting, and that is the passing of our ministry spending plan for next year and also the, the approval of the slate of elders and deacons that will join and uh, begin uh, their service this summer. So thanks be to God. Uh, for the congregational meeting and for uh, those uh, unanimous results. After that meeting, we had a chance with some of us to head, take a walk, dodging the rain bullets on our way uh, to Lake Michigan to do our walk for water. We got a little picture here of the group that joined us, uh, a way to uh, stand alongside of and in solidarity with our brothers and sisters from across the globe who have to walk for water every single day. Uh, and this is a way for us just to raise awareness and stand in solidarity with them, grateful uh, for those folks and their willingness to kind of practice uh, what we preach a little bit in that way. Another uh, thing that we're celebrating and giving thanks for was something that happened actually, you know, six or seven hours ago this morning. While all the rest of us were sleeping, some of us were worshiping the Lord, uh, those of us uh, at Fellowship Church, and that is our brothers and sisters that were uh, sent uh, to our mission partners in the Netherlands. And this is a crew of folks at the church that we support, a church plant uh, in the very, very, very uh, post-Christian secular uh, Netherlands. Uh, and the guy in the middle there is uh, uh, the pastor at that church, Christian, and Dwayne Vandenbrink, and Tim and Susan DeForest, and Scott Inglesman were there to uh, offer some encouragement, and he uh, expressed his deep, deep gratitude uh, for our years of partnership with them. Uh, and so I just wanted to celebrate those folks that uh, had a chance to worship with our friends in the Netherlands this morning. Also happening today, uh, this afternoon, or right after this service for a little while, in the gym, uh, our values team, who you have seen the values cards maybe the last couple weeks, is, is giving you a chance to share stories. If you weren't, uh, didn't have a chance to fill out the card, you can do that, and or just tell your story, uh, what you've experienced at Fellowship uh, in the last number of years, but also kind of your dreams for where we might go in the future. Um, we'd love to have as many folks as that are willing uh, to just pop in, no matter uh, if this is your first time or your hundredth time uh, at Fellowship Church, please uh, consider stopping in the gym after the service uh, to share a little bit with our values team. 
At this time, I'd like to dismiss uh, our kids uh, that are going uh, off to their discipleship and worship experiences uh, through eighth grade, uh, and the rest of you, uh, because of God's great love for us, we have peace with God, and so we can have peace with one another. May the peace of Christ be with you. Please uh, share a sign with peace with those that are seated next to you, and then we'll keep standing and sing right after that. So share a sign of Christ's peace.
Well, good morning, church, and happy Eastertide. The Lord be with you. I invite you to come with me for a minute to the front yard of a homeowner who was hoping to install a new driveway. However, the place in which they wanted to put it was currently occupied by a small forest of bamboo sprouts. <laughs> bamboo is technically a grass, but it grows like a tree. And so this person set out to cut it all down and even took an axe to all the roots, then dug up all the pieces and parts of it that he could, hauled it away to a faraway place, and then just to be sure, he poured plant poison all over this whole hole in the ground, filled it with gravel, and then paved it over with four inches worth of concrete. Guess what? Yeah. Two years later, there was already a bamboo sprout breaking through that concrete driveway. That, in my opinion, is an Easter story. Seriously, it is a story of new life breaking forth in a place where it is least expected to be. And as you've already heard this morning, we are into a season called Easter Tide, and we're celebrating all the ways in which we are being made new in it because we recognize in this season not only that Jesus Christ rose from the dead on Easter morning, but that he did so as the first fruits of all creation so that what happened to him would also happen to us. Easter was a bodily resurrection for Jesus, and so we're walking through the various body parts that we have. Pastor Nate taught us the song last week, head and shoulders, knees and toes, eyes and ears, and mouth and nose. Not exactly that, but we are today focusing on ears that hear. I heard it said this week by someone attending a special event that they were hoping that it was going to be for them a sit-and-get experience. A sit-and-get experience. It's kind of a funny phrase. What they mean by that is they were going, intending to be a spectator, a, a non-participant. They were hoping simply to sit there, get what they get, and then go home afterwards. It strikes me that sometimes we come to church hoping for a sit-and-get experience, and we take on a posture of a pew potato, you might say, kind of like a couch potato, except we become a pew potato. But today's sermon is not that, and the Easter life that we are invited into is also definitely not that. It's participatory, or it's hardly anything at all. And so to that end today, I'd like to invite you to memorize with me four scriptures four one-verse texts. We're going to memorize them together, and I'm going to give you the first one right now. Repeat after me. Ears that hear, Ears that and, hear. Eyes that see, and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Ears that hear, and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. That's Proverbs chapter 20, verse 12, and it's a description of a well-ordered world. Now, of course, implicit in that text and explicit everywhere else, really, in Scripture and throughout world history is the all-too-common truth that it is possible to have ears that do not hear and eyes that do not see. But if and when that is the case, it's not the way it's supposed to be. 
which is just a classic definition of sin, if you will. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And on a grand scale, we can look out on the whole wide world and recognize that from the very beginning of things, God's good creation, to the end of time, the kingdom come, and even in this time in between, as we call it now, Eastertide, God's design for us has been to have ears that hear and eyes that see, for the Lord has made them both. That's the first verse I hope you internalize today. And if and when we have that, ears that hear and eyes that see, I think we'll notice, first and foremost, that the single most important thing in all of Scripture about ears and about hearing is that God goes first. God goes first. In fact, of the over 1,000 references in the Scriptures to ears or hearing, the most common message of all is that God hears. In Exodus chapter 2, God's people who were once a dysfunctional family in the book of Genesis, they become an entire nation, but they are enslaved in Egypt, pressed under the heavy thumb of the Pharaoh, and they cry out to God for help. And the text tells us very clearly God heard their cry, sprung into action on their behalf, and it's a redemption story. In Psalm 28, one of the many psalm examples where we have the psalmist calling out to God, saying, incline your ear to me and hear my prayer. And then just a few verses later, it closes the loop and celebrates the fact that God did indeed hear and respond mercifully. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gathers his disciples around and he teaches them to pray because God hears our prayers. And then in John 17, Jesus, an entire chapter, prays the high priestly prayer. One of the lead disciples of Jesus, Peter, the kind of exciting one, eventually writes his own book. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, he invites all Christians everywhere to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. And then there's this beautiful image in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, where it says that God is on the throne of the universe and there is silence in heaven for a half an hour as the prayers of the saints rise up before God's throne and God hears them. The message is clear. In all of life, the most important ear and the most important hearer is God. So here's the second memory verse I hope you'll internalize with me today and take it with you as you go from this place. Psalm chapter 40, verse 1, which says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. You say it. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. That psalm is actually so human and so common, so relatable, that it's actually been turned into a song sung by the international rock band U2 with lead singer Bono. They sing that song in the largest concert venues this world has known all over the planet, South Africa, Paris, United States, all kinds of various places, in crowds of over 100,000 people gathered, Christians and non-Christians alike, joining together to say, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. I love how Anne Lamont has said that basically all of our prayers take one of three forms. They are either help, thanks, or wow. 
Someone in the last service wanted to add in oops. That's our sorry, oops. But she says three. And these are the most common human instincts that we have. Life happens. It always does. And then we are inclined to respond with those responses, help or thanks or wow. And that's built into us because there is, in fact, a God who made us and a God who hears us when we call out. The opposite of this praying life, says Anne Lamont, is simply to experience everything in life and say, oh well, whatever. But that, of course, is not a made new life. That is not a hearing life. And so I'm inviting you to consider whatever experience you're experiencing right now, whatever you're going through, and to consider if life is going better than you deserve and you know it, then turn to the God who hears and say, thank you. If times are hard and you feel like you have been cut down and paved over by circumstances of life in this world, then turn to God who hears our cry and say, Lord, please help. Or if there comes a time where you get a pop of delight, you are joyfully overwhelmed by some kind of goodness, beauty, or truth that is out there in this world, then by all means, let God hear you say, wow, in the various ways you might say it. When we do that, we become a bit like a bamboo sprout breaking through a concrete driveway, and we join our voices with the psalmist and with the whole wide world in saying, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. So if the first thing that we need to learn from the scriptures about hearing is that God goes first and God hears our cries, the second thing I hope you notice right on its tails is that we were made to hear from God. We were made to hear from God. So here's the next verse to memorize for the day. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Another one verse thing where it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Great verse. Listen to it again. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. I've got a goofy slide which helps us recognize our job is hearing first. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason, meaning that we ought to be twice as likely to listen as we are to speak. But that's easier said than done, of course. And in fact, I wonder if any of you know what just might be the very first sin in all of Scripture? Not listening. It's been described in other ways, disobedience or pride or something like that, but it's actually fundamentally not listening, and particularly not listening to God. Everything in this world has gone sideways when we stop listening to God first. One of the best books I've read on this subject about ears that hear is by Dallas Willard. The book is called Hearing God. Go figure. The book begins by telling the story of a pastor who was leading a church into a new building project. They needed a new sanctuary. And so the pastor was waxing eloquently about all the ways that God had spoken to him about this new project and how it was clearly God's will for them to do this. An exciting moment. 
After the service, the family gathered at the dinner table and shared in the excitement together. Kids were there, parents were there, even grandma was there at the head of the table, but she stayed quiet. Now, grandma had lived a life of faith and faithfulness, and so when everyone else realized that she was quiet, they got quiet too. Finally, grandma spoke up and she said, I wonder why God never speaks to me like that. Dallas, the writer of the book, was actually at that table that day, and he summarizes that moment in this way. He says, Grandma's simple comment, which came like a bolt out of the blue from the heart of a woman of unshakable faith and complete devotion, forever changed my attitude toward glib talk about God speaking or about divine guidance. And he goes on to say that he realized later, through her words, God spoke to me. Open your Bibles, and you will find basically throughout it stories of people hearing from God. Stories of Eve and Eve and Abraham and Job and Mary and many others as well. In this book, Dallas goes on to outline the six ways in which God speaks to people in Scripture going from the most extreme to the most common. I have it put up on a slide for you to see here this morning. On the most extreme level, we have those stories that we remember so easily where there's a strange phenomenon and an audible voice. And so Moses encounters a burning bush in the woods and then a voice speaks from it saying, hey Moses, remove your sandals for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. There's instances like that, but they're not altogether that common. Second is a supernatural messenger, like an angel. We remember this, of course, at Christmas time, where it's a choir of angels saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people on whom God's favor rests. These are instances of messengers from God, including even a great one in the Old Testament where there is a talking donkey, Balaam's donkey, a great instance where a messenger is used. Next is dreams and visions. There are instances where God speaks through dreams and visions. And so Joseph in the book of Genesis is the great interpreter of dreams. And Peter in the New Testament sees a vision of a sheet and it becomes for him a message from God to include the Gentiles in the church. Beyond that, there's simply an audible voice. I think this is probably the most famous story in scripture. Samuel, little boy in the temple of God, keeps thinking his mentor, Eli is calling out his name, but it's actually God, and it takes him three tries to figure it out. Or even Jesus in the New Testament, where Jesus is baptized, and a voice speaks from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Again, getting less extravagant and yet more common, there's the next one where God speaks through other people. This is by far more common. And so we have entire books written by prophets who say, thus saith the Lord, and they speak on God's behalf. And of course, we even have the Bible written by scribes, people speaking God's word to us. It's the, it, it's the most common. And then there's the next one on the bottom of the list, an inner voice an inner voice, the still small voice that Elijah heard when he hid in the cave and there was a great wind or a fire and an earthquake and God was not in those exciting things, but God was in the sound of silence. 
in the New Testament. It's the gift of the Spirit in us so that we have a conscience and we have the mind of Christ in us, the most common way that God speaks. And of course, in all of these, you might be wondering, if we think we're hearing from God, how do we know that it's him? In fact, there's been more than plenty examples in world history of people who think they're hearing from God, but they're actually crazy, right? So how do we know? This is, for me, the most helpful way. It's called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. It would be to take whatever you think you're hearing from God and put it through these four filters. The biggest of them you can see up there is Scripture. Whatever you think you're hearing from God, how does it align with the rest of Scripture? And not some minute proof text hidden somewhere. The whole witness together. What does Scripture say? Then add that also to what does tradition say? We're not the only Christians who have ever lived. There have been an abundance of people who have gone before us who have sought to live faithfully. So we can look at that great cloud of witness and listen in to what they have said as well. Next, you can look at reason. Reason would be built on the idea that God actually created a world, a cosmos, out of chaos. God is a God who builds order. And so if it is completely illogical, if it sounds absolutely crazy, it just might be, right? And uh, it's worth paying attention to that. Reason and logic are part of the, uh, the quadrilateral up there. And then last but not least is experience. How does it fit with life experience? And I'm thinking particularly the question, does it bring peace? Does it bring peace? So Jesus, in his resurrected life, in the Eastertide season, would very often appear to people, and the first thing he would say is, peace. Peace I give you. My peace I leave you. If and when we hear something from God, it is likely to be bringing peace either to us or peace to someone else. So then we have this verse from Isaiah. A voice calling out, and he hears it. It's not necessarily directly to him. He says, then I, heard, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, he says, I'll do it. He doesn't try to dodge or ignore what's being said. Here I am, send me. Hearing God is part of our life and particularly it calls us into a life of vocation, a certain direction in life. But that's not the only way. There's one more I want to mention this morning. We have one more verse to memorize yet. I hope you're keeping up. They're printed in your bulletin. If you can't keep up, you can look them up again later. But here's the last verse to memorize for the day. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Say it with me. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That verse is actually repeated seven times over in the seven letters that are written to the seven churches in the first couple chapters of the book of Revelation. The seven letters read kind of like a report card where you're getting essentially an evaluation. The churches are getting feedback from God about how they're doing in life, if you will. And it falls into four categories. The first is affirmations and says, I know your deeds, and it lists off some positive things. Second, there's a critique. It will say, yet I hold this against you, and name something that needs addressing. Third, there's the invitation, which we just said together, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, and then it concludes with a promise 
to the one who overcomes, to the one who overcomes, a variety of good things are put on offer. On offer. Now, I can't read all of the letters to you this morning. We don't have time for that. But I do hope that you notice the structure. In fact, in the first letter alone, I count six specific affirmations and one carefully selected critique. Six affirmations and one critique, which is a very peculiar ratio. About 10 years ago, Harvard Biz Business Review put out an article. It was surveying businesses, in this case, seeking out the best ratio of feedback given to someone in order to help them become their best. Guess what ratio they found? Six to one. How interesting. Six positive to one negative. Elsewhere, there's a great marriage expert. His name is John Gottman, if you want to go and look him up. But he also suggests that in a marriage, there also ought to be a ratio of about five to one positive to negative feedback. And he also warns, warns that if that ratio drops too low, statistically speaking, the marriage might be in trouble. So when it comes to made new hearing, I'm thinking this morning about you and wondering who in your life gives you affirmations. I sure hope that you have someone. By all means, affirmations abound in the scriptures, but also we have people around us, and hopefully someone is affirming you in your life as well. But we can't goad people into doing that, can we? We can't force them and say, hey, tell me the good stuff, please. We can, however, create a culture, a culture of encouragement, a culture of affirmation and celebration. I love the story of a school in England in the 1990s. The school was failing. It was among the very worst schools in the entire district, and it was preparing to close its doors. Students were not doing well. All the metrics were not going well. The leader of the school, a woman uh, kind of at her wit's end, turns to a local rabbi, one that I particularly like. His name is Jonathan Sachs, and said, what might we do? And he offered one word, celebrate, celebrate. And she said back to him, there's nothing to celebrate. Everything is going bad. He said, invent something to celebrate. Find anything to celebrate. If a student improves from one day to the next, then celebrate. If someone has a birthday, celebrate. If it's Tuesday, celebrate. And she said, okay, and went and did it. Eight years later, the school had turned around and become one of the most excelling schools in the district. The principal won awards for the change that had been brought about in that particular place. And it all came from a simple one word, celebrations, affirmations. Find the good and name it. What we celebrate, we duplicate. It's worth paying attention to. So I hope you have someone giving affirmations in your life today too. And you can be an affirmer of someone else as well. But there's another side of it. It's in all of the letters uh, to the churches in Revelation, and that side is the critique. And here we need to notice that it must be loving critique, not cruel critique, coming from someone who actually seeks our good. I hope you do have someone in your life who can speak the truth to you and say, hey, you're falling off here, or you're missing it there. 
We need that as well, but we can only handle just a little bit of it, as the review has said. In fact, the Harvard Business Review article names that the critique must be serious. It can't be nitpicky stuff that just chews at our ankles and ultimately just takes us down. It's got to be something that really matters. And so in the first letter, the letter to the church at Ephesus, the one critique is this. You have forsaken your first love. That's a big deal, right? And the loving advice is, hey, go back to the one that you loved at first. It's an important critique that needed to be heard. To be sure, it is very squirmy to receive critique, even godly critique, whether it comes to us through our conscience, whether it comes to us through the scriptures, or whether it comes to us through faithful friends. We hear it and we remember it because it sometimes hurts. But here's what I'm starting to learn also about critique. If you're uncorrectable, you just might be unredeemable. If you're uncorrectable, you just might be unredeemable. Now, of course, God can do all things. God can do the impossible. Thanks be to God. But even part of our salvation process, even the process of us being made new now, that includes leaving behind an old self and taking up a new self. And if you are uncorrectable, you just might be unredeemable. And so we need to be ready and willing to receive those hard things too from those who love us best and who are seeking our ultimate good. And so all seven letters say, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, affirmations and critiques alike. On the whole, let's review. I hope you've got the four verses. If not, you can go memorize them later. Here's what they are. First, about a well-ordered world. Proverbs 20 says, ears that hear and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Yes, please do. Say them with me. About a God who hears. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. About a life of vocation, Isaiah chapter 6. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And last but not least, about receiving feedback, Revelation chapter 2. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. May those verses collectively be the story of our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God hears our prayers. God speaks to us uh, through his words. And Jesus shares mm. with us words yeah. that are some of the most rehearsed words in all of Scripture here at this table. And it occurs to me, Pastor Ross, that at this table, it's really an affirmation and a critique. It's an affirmation that God so loved the world that he was willing to give both his body and his blood on our behalf. But it's also an invitation to examine our own selves and come before God and say, I haven't always done it rightly. Mm -hmm. I've screwed up. It's a, play, it's a table of grace where God's grace is not just spoken and heard, but also experienced and tasted. So Jesus, on the same night that he was betrayed, said some of these words after he had given thanks for the bread, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same manner, he also took the cup, the cup of redemption. And he said, this cup is the cup of a New Testament in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Together, friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God, and we are eager to receive them. This morning, we will take communion together by having three stations up front, and you will be invited to come forward when you are ready. Uh, the elders will give you the elements, and then you can return to your seats. There's also a gluten-free uh, place over underneath the cross on the side here, and we also have roving elders in the back. If you'd like to simply stay where you are, you can raise your hand, and they will bring the elements to you. At Fellowship Church, we welcome to this table all who love God and who are learning to follow Jesus. Mm. So friends, come, for all things are now ready. Cancel my 
Friends, join me in prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, for you are one who hears our cry, and you are one who enables us to hear you when you speak, and you are one who has fed us at your table. So we join the psalmist who says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless your holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all your benefits, for you forgive all of our sins, heal all of our diseases, redeem our life from the pit, and crown us with love and mercy. You satisfy us with good as long as we shall live, so that our youth is restored like that of the eagle. And we turn back to say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, as you go from this place to live a made new life, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Go in peace.